0: Hey, good morning. It's Sunday, July 12th. I hope that you're doing great. Uh, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching text is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me first take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When Jesus says do not judge, the word translated judge here on one level simply means to uh, discern. Uh, Your dentist makes a judgment when you're sitting in her chair and they discern that there's, you know tooth decay or a cavity, and though we don't like it when they make that kind of judgment, we generally thank them for being judgmental because it relieves us of current pain or it frees us from having to deal with future pain. We actually appreciate their judgment or their discernment there. Uh, When our trusty mechanic discerns a problem with our air conditioner we thank them for using their judgment which they've gained by knowledge and experience so that we cannot melt in our cars in you know the hot oklahoma summer when i gave my first sermon in a preaching 101 class in seminary uh, my professor made a judgment about me by saying that listening to me preach was like taking valium and i didn't know if that was a compliment or a criticism but you know what i'm going to take it as a compliment either way people love valium uh, in this passage where Jesus says, do not judge, he's, he's not commanding us to avoid discerning whether something or someone is wrong. He commands us not to be damning or condemning of those people when they're in the wrong. He's not telling us not to evaluate, which is honestly not something we can avoid doing. He's telling us not to evaluate with contempt Uh, not to think that we have the moral authority or the moral positioning to make the final judgment about someone. He cautions us against writing off or holistically evaluating a person with contempt as if we knew best. Uh, You will be unsurprised to hear me say this, but I think we live in a contemptuous, polarized, anxious, and angry world right now. You see it every time you open up social media and you hear people uh, share their perspectives. My number one rule of engaging in social media is don't read the comments. And I have this rule is be- because like the comment section is where people take conversations from zero to 60 in like two seconds. You think someone posts something relatively inane and then the comment section just explodes and you're like, man, that escalated quickly. People are are reactive, vindictive, merciless, slow to listen, and certainly slow to seek understanding. And there are a lot of people in this world who are incentivized to keep us in this kind of posture. There are power brokers and influencers who are meaningfully incentivized to stoke the fires of our animosity toward other people. There are people who stand to gain wealth or influence the more angry you and I become about those with whom we disagree on any number of issues. But Jesus gives us this warning against condemning and treating others with contempt. But it's actually more than a warning. It's actually an invitation into a better way of living, a more liberated existence. And that's life without condemnation. a mentor of mine has the habit of asking me a question that starts like this. Can you think of a time in the life of Jesus where dot, dot, dot? And I point the question to you. Can you think of a time or an example in the life of Jesus where he could have behaved with condemnation toward people, but he didn't? He chose not to. Uh, Two come to mind for me. One is uh, as a people group, Lepers. Uh, And the other was the woman caught in adultery. In the case of lepers, uh, Jewish culture had made a judgment that such people who had leprosy were unclean and untouchable. When walking into a community, a crowd of people, they would have to say, unclean, unclean, and people would scatter. The crowd would divide when a leper would come into their midst. But Jesus refused to play by the rules of who was clean and who was unclean. He dignified the leper by, by engaging them in conversation and even touching them. With a the woman caught in adultery, Jesus shooed off her condemners, the people who were like literally reared back to like throw stones and kill her because of her infidelity. And Jesus dealt gently with her, uh, this person against whom he could have rendered judgment. And it was precisely because of his gentleness and his reluctance to damn and condemn that Jesus had the moral authority and the social capital to say, neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Jesus says in the passage that we've just read that those who would take the risky step of correcting the behavior of another person must first ensure that they've dealt with their own character flaws. So if you want to take the speck or the sawdust out of somebody else's eyes, you need to be a person who has dealt with the plank in your own, your own failures and flaws. This is not a way of saying, as some might argue, that there's no place for discerning and and talking about the growth area of other people. In the New Testament, it tells us that judgment should begin within the house of God. We should have conversations within the church about whether we're living into our Christian identity and ideals. Within the church, we ought to speak truthfully to one another so that, as Paul said in Colossians 1, we may all be fully mature in Christ. Paul says really cryptically and mysteriously that someday we, the the people of God, the church, are going to judge angels. At the same time, he asks, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Uh, the New Testament and, and even Jesus in Matthew 18 gives us ways, structures for how to talk uh, critically, in a sense, about the behaviors of those within the church, how to deal with, with failures and flaws. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expands the, the beatitude on mercy and in, in practical terms by advocating for a posture of mercy and personal responsibility and gentleness in dealing with the flaws of others. Mercy because we hope for God and others to show us mercy. Responsibility because we know that like we too uh, are, are guilty of sin and failures and brokenness. And gentleness because we're all just trying our best to be human beings. And it's really hard to be a healthy human being. The point of Jesus' speck and plank teaching is that the one who has dealt candidly with their own faults will have been given the chance to develop the kind of gentleness and empathy required to deal with the the faults of others in a way that is void of condemnation and contempt. And the presence of condemnation, of like this desire to demean or damn or condemn other people, The impulse to, like, label them and write them off with contempt is evidence that our plank remains. The impulse to condemn or to treat with judgment is evidence that, like, like we're not in a position to speak to them about the speck in their eye. Dallas Willard said, we will never know how to truly help others until we've grown into the kind of person who does not condemn because that, the impulse to demonize and condemn and treat others with contempt uh, often revolves around the arena of politics in our world. I think it's unique to American culture because of how we started, and it's also because we're in an election year. Uh, I want to end with a story that uh, comes from politics, that demonstrates a refusal to condemn and to debate, but not to uh, demean. And I think this example is going to feel like it came from another planet, given how uh, the state of debate and, and civil conversation in our country right now. The late Senator John McCain, uh, during his campaign for president in 2008, was hosting a town hall in uh, Lakeland, Lakeville, Minnesota. It was three weeks before the election, so tensions are really hot, and McCain was running against a young Senator Barack Obama. And during this town hall Q&A, the mic was being passed around to different people in the crowd, and McCain had back-to-back questions to which he gave very unexpected responses. The first question came from a man who got up in the mic and he said, frankly, we are all scared of an Obama presidency. And he went on to describe the reasons that gave him fear or trepidation about Obama becoming president. McCain responded and he said, first of all, I want to be president of the United States and I do not want Senator Obama to be president of the United States. But I have to tell you, Senator Obama is a decent person and a person you do not have to be scared of as the president of the United States. Immediately at his own campaign rally, people began to boo this posture by Senator McCain. The mic is passed to uh, another woman in the crowd and she said, said, I don't believe I can trust Obama. I've read about him. And then she said, he's an Arab, he's not an American. And John McCain immediately withdrew the mic from this woman and began to shake his head and in a very respectful tone, he said, no ma'am, no ma'am. He's a decent man, he's a family man and a citizen that I happen to have disagreements with about fundamental issues and that's what this campaign is all about. It was such a perplexing moment in American politics, especially, you know, within the last couple of decades, because it was in McCain's best interest to fan the flames of hatred and mistrust against Senator Obama. It was, he was incentivized to villainize his opponent and he refused to take the bait. And we as followers of Jesus, people who are striving to live as a gospel shaped community must refuse to take the bait. To refuse to condemn, to damn, to label, to write off, to treat as subhuman people who are made in the image of God. To behave mercilessly. Merciless behavior is incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, It's incongruent as people who have been loved by God, though we were his enemies, to treat with contempt those who appear to be our enemies, to attempt to have the last word to be mean Christians must never be mean-spirited and cruel. We must not condemn. We must not be that guy or that gal in the comments on social media who are fanning the flames of hatred and misunderstanding. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to cast judgment. And Jesus gives us fair warning why. He says, with the same spirit and the same measure of condemnation and judgment that we extend to others, it's going to be extended to us. Jesus refuses to let us live in this universe in which we are at peace with God, but at war with other people. The way that you treat the person with whom you disagree, the way that you treat the person with whom you have a strained relationship, the way that you treat the person that you're inclined to hate, with that posture, Jesus is warning this. We're, we're going to be measured. It's going to be extended to us. Is that how we want to be treated by God? So I would just ask you, as a way of reflecting on, on, on the gospel, as a way of inviting the Spirit to shape you, against whom do you have the strongest tendency to condemn? Is, is a, a person in your life, a family member, an in-law, a, a neighbor, a coworker, is it a group of people? I think in election year, are you merciless toward the party to which you do not belong? And I would just, it's like you, candidly within your own heart, begin to name and identify those people. Invite the spirit of God to help you turn the camera from their fault, their flaws, and their failures back on yourself. Are there areas of sin that you have not confessed? Are there, are, are there ways in which you're behaving maybe even condemning others for behaving, but you're behaving in just the way that's, that's a failure, just the way that you would condemn them? Are there, are there parts of your heart, is there a tendency to condemn that you need to invite the Spirit of God to remove from within you? Each of us must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and to be judgmental. In the same way, that you judge others, you yourselves will be judged. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have been so trained and habituated and discipled into being people who condemn and villainize the other that many of us can't even imagine a world in which that is not our MO. So would you send your spirit and so transform us Uh, that we are people who just live free from condemnation. We live in freedom knowing that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because you've set us free, according to Romans chapter 8. And help us to live in this judgment-free, condemnation-free existence toward our children, toward our spouses, toward our, our family, our friends, toward other people in the church, toward those with whom we disagree politically convict us when we are merciless. Give us a glimpse of how you see us when we behave in these ways that are so short of mercy and transform us to live freely. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, God loves you. We'll see you around. Hope that you have a great week. Love for you to join us. Sundays. Cornerstone on the Lawn. Unless it's raining, 915 outside, bring a lawn chair. It'd be great to be together with your church. See you around.